Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you today. Uh, It's good to be able to sing Alleluia. We pray, Holy Spirit, with gratitude that you're here today with us, among us. You're not a faraway God. And we pray now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, open the scriptures, and Lord, fill my words that we might be led to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I heard uh, about a husband and a wife who were up one Sunday morning, and the wife was busily getting ready for church. And just a few minutes before it was time to leave, to go to the service, she noticed that her husband was not ready at all. And she was puzzled. So she asked him, Hey, what's up? Why aren't you getting ready? And he said, I don't want to go. And she said, is there a reason? And he said, I'll give you three good reasons. The first is this. That congregation is cold. And secondly, none of those people like me. And thirdly, I don't want to go. Well, she was a wise woman and she was patient. So she took a breath and said a quick prayer. And she said, well, here's the thing, honey, I have three reasons why you should go. First of all, that congregation is really warm. And secondly, there are actually a couple people there who do like you. And thirdly, you're the pastor. Let's go. (laughs) In the gospel lesson that we heard a moment ago from John 20. It's still Easter day. We call it Easter Sunday. It's the evening of that day. It's actually in their time, it would be Monday morning. That starts in the evenings. Regardless, it's that day of the resurrection. And the disciples are all together except for Thomas. He's not there. He's a no-show at this event. And we don't know why he's not there. We don't know the reason that he's not willing to be in their midst. The text doesn't tell us. But I I don't think it's all that hard to sort of imagine some scenarios as to why he has not uh, come. I mean, it could very well be that that he's just terrified. It says that they're all hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, the Jewish leaders. Right? They're afraid they're going to have the same fate come upon them that they saw come upon Jesus. They have no idea what's going to happen. So it could just be that, like, Thomas has panicked and he's out of town. I'm, I'm out of here. Or it could very well be that, you know, he's still so full of grief over what happened to Jesus on that Friday. He's seen his friend, his master, his teacher, the one in whom he's put all his hopes, brutally beaten, killed, really destroyed publicly. And it might just be that he he just can't handle it. I I mean, I suspect in a room this size, some of us know what grief feels like, especially the kind of grief you can experience when you lose someone you love. Like, it can be overpowering. Or the kind of overwhelmedness that can come in the face of a failure or a deep disappointment when you just can't really handle being around people. That may be what's going on here with him. And then, of course, we know that, well, we know they call him the doubter, doubting Thomas. And now there are all these crazy stories coming in about Jesus. 
The stone's been rolled away. There's angels. The tomb's empty. Oh, yeah, and he appeared to several of the other disciples. I mean, it may just be that he's like, whoa, this is getting getting too intense. Like that, that place is getting a little weird. Regardless, he's not there when Jesus shows up. There's a couple of things that I want us to see in this appearance of Jesus among the disciples. And it's this. First, we want to notice the peace of Jesus. And then we want to see the purpose of Jesus. And then we want to see that there is the power of Jesus. Let's see if we can unpack those just a little bit. Now, as Jesus appears in their midst in this, really this band of faithless guys, they all abandon him. And in this group of incredibly fearful people, they're hiding behind locked doors, gathering a, a gathering group of fallen men. And they, they all betrayed him. They all abandoned him. The first thing he doesn't say, he doesn't say, shame on you. There's no shame from him. No, what he speaks is peace. Peace be unto you. And it's one of the strongest kind of words you can speak in that culture. But it's not strong in like an overpowering way. It's strong in a deeply kind and compassionate way. We, we really don't have anything quite like it in our English language. There's not an equivalent. About the closest that I could come up with would be like when you come to somebody's home and you're there for a visit and they say, welcome, come in, make yourself at home. My house is your house, which means you've got the run of the place. You can go in the refrigerator when you want. You can put your feet up on the table right? You can use the pool, whatever. It's that kind of idea, that welcome, that invitation, that openness. But this greeting of peace Jesus is giving is even far deeper than our kind of welcome of hospitality or our good manners here in the South. He's saying all peace in every way is yours. It's a peace that is intended to enter into their very bodies in a physical sense. It's a peace intended to meet them in the depths and needs of their souls. And of course, it's the peace that our spirit so desperately needs. The peace of forgiveness that God offers us. And of course, that's the very thing that Jesus has just obtained on the cross those few days before. The peace of God, the peace of reconciliation, the peace of forgiveness. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As he shows him his hands and his feet, he's inviting them into his wounds. He's inviting him to understand and know what the crucifixion was really all about. This is no martyrdom. This is no accident. This is the intended purpose of God to purchase people back, to make us his own, to make peace possible between our rebellious and wandering hearts and the God of holiness, the God of awesome wonder. He invites them first to his wounds. And I would say and ask you today, 
have you seen the wounds of Jesus? I, I don't mean like just pictures that an artist might create, but that deep place, the deep place of vulnerability and exposure before God, where you're honest about your shortcomings and your failings, about the things you wouldn't tell most other people. Have you seen the wounds of Jesus? Have you been to the cross of Christ? In that place, there's not a shame on you. In that place, there's peace be with you. And in fact, that's his heart's desire to give you. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, peace. Now, you'll know you've been there if you're beginning, and some of you may be further along in this than others, you're beginning to be able to sort of rest in God's love for you, where you don't get uptight all the time when you go to church or when, well, when your sin crops up again. You know what to do with it. You don't cower back under shame and fear. You don't run and get under a rock. You don't leave and run for the hills, but you come back to the cross of Jesus back to the place of mercy, forgiveness, and peace, peace for you, the peace that he offers. That's why we as Anglicans, well, that's why we confess each week. It's not because we're going back to the cross the first time, but because we know that that stuff has a way of creeping back up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? The stuff you don't want to do, you do, and the things you want to do, you tend not to do. And it's not that it damages your eternal relationship with God, but it does have a way of blocking that immediate presence of Jesus. It has a way of stealing away your peace. And so we come knowing that, you know, we have a habit of getting dirty as the week goes on, leaving those things behind as individuals, but we also do it as a corporate body. We come as the people of God before the Lord. And so that's what repentance is about. Just turning away, turning away from shame, turning away from sin, turning away from those places where you've run off to, where you've stumbled into and turning back to the God who loves you. Repentance is not a bad word, although some people kind of feel like it is. It's actually a liberation word. It's a joyful word. It's a word of freedom and a word of hope. It's coming back to that place of peace and forgiveness. That's the first thing we need to see, peace. And notice all through this John 20 reading, you hear peace multiple times. My, well, my sense and my experience is it's because I need peace multiple times. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes throughout a day, I need that peace over and over again. My hope, my desire, his desire is that we would live in that peace increasingly. Well, peace, peace, he says. The second thing we want to see is in verse 21, it's that there's a purpose. The peace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus leads to the purpose of Jesus. He says, as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you like I've got something in this. Listen to that. You who think, oh, who am I to serve the Lord? Or, you know, oh, I'm just a miserable sinner or something along those lines. In the same way that the Father sent Jesus, so now Jesus sends those of us 
who have received his peace. I mean, that's a pretty big thing, don't you think? That's a deep purpose, way beyond the small stories of the world around us. Way bigger than, you know, the one who dies with the most toys wins. It's the purpose of Jesus. As Jesus was sent by the Father to bring people into God's kingdom, so now we are sent by Jesus to bring people into God's kingdom, to be his hands and his feet on the earth. That's a powerful thing. And he gives us a quick picture of what that's going to look like. A big part of that has to do with forgiveness. Forgiveness is the hallmark of our relationship with God. Forgiveness is to be the heart of our message to the world and the way we interact with one another and with others. It's always forgiveness. So let me ask you a question today. Because the way you answer this question will help you discern kind of the condition of your heart. Are you still holding grudges? Is there bitterness within you? It feels like a hardness of heart. And that can be over very large things like betrayals that have occurred to us in life. Violations that have been done to us. It can be over the small kind of things like that fight you had on the way to church this morning. Or earlier this week. That argument that you're in that had to have the last word moment. And now you're, you're stewing inside. You're either bitter with them or you're in a fortified position because I will not be the first one. Does this ring a bell to anybody? Okay. I can't tell if you're holding your breath because you get it or, or the, or the masks are having an effect at this point. <laughs> one of the big purposes of our lives is to take that message of God's forgiveness out, but it's also to be people who forgive. That's a huge part of your call and of how the world will know that what you say you believe, you actually believe. That's why as we pray in the Lord's Prayer each week, it's kind of a dangerous prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And it's not a work salvation thing. It's actually more like a fruit of our relationship to the extent that your forgiveness has taken root in me. Well, I'll be forgiving to others. And if I'm not forgiving of others, then it may indicate there's a heart problem. Like I maybe haven't received the grace myself because having tasted that incredible mercy of God, who am I to hold a grudge anymore against anyone else? Well, that's the second thing, a purpose. And the third is the power. Verse 22 says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Notice he doesn't say, Now go be religious. Nothing wrong with our worship or our religion if it's done in a faith-filled way. The first thing he does, having given peace... Having given purpose, he gives them power. He gives them himself or the third person of the Trinity. He breathes upon them the Holy Spirit. And, and John is not developing the fullness of this doctrine. That's going to that's gonna develop 
really 50 days later at Pentecost as the Spirit is poured out in great power and 3,000 are converted on that day. But we see the beginnings of the power of the Spirit coming in their lives, a new life being poured into them. It starts with new life. Has that new life entered into you? Well, yeah, I go to church. No, no, no. Like, do you know you're alive because the Holy Spirit is in you because you've come to the cross of Jesus and received the peace of Jesus given through the forgiveness of Jesus? If you can't answer that, we need to talk. There's a beautiful scene in C.S. Lewis's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Most of you probably know the book. It's, it's in his Narnia series, Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure, has gone to the stone table. He's been crucified. He's been raised. And the first thing he does is he goes to the witch's castle. Before he goes off to fight the battle, like at the end of the story, he goes to the witch's castle. And in the witch's castle, there is this hall of statues, all these people, these creatures, these animals that she has turned to stone over the years. And the lion walks among the stone and he begins to breathe on them. And as he breathes on them, they begin to move and shake. There's new life. I think C.S. Lewis was, was, that's his version of John 20. There's life and there's joy. That's why you wanted to clap after that first song. Because it's a good thing. The joy of the Lord is a strength that we're called to draw upon. That's part of what it means to be in the kingdom. That's part of what life is, to have the joy of the Lord as your strength. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy every moment of every day. But it means there's a deep well within you that you can draw from. So if you sense the joy of the Lord in this service, well, let your face know about it. I can't see it. I can see your eyes. The life is in the eyes. Now, here's a beautiful thing is that while this life that he breathes on us, this new life that comes, this born again ness, this restored life, while that happens in a one-time way, the power of the Spirit is continually available to us throughout our lives. And that's really good news because I kind of leak some days. And that's bad theology, but you understand experientially what I'm talking about. He's in me. And he has me. But there are days when I need his power. Those hard days. Those days when you're dealing with things that you know are way bigger than you can handle. Gosh, I'm finding the longer I walk with him, I need him on the easy days too. (laughs) Like there are fewer days where I'm like, I'll call you when I need you. I'm like, I need you. Every day, all day. And we can draw on that power to do what he asks us to do. And when we do it, there is great joy. There is peace. We see his presence around us. Do you know this new life? Do you have this power within you? Do you need this power again? The good news is all we have to do is ask. 
oh, and we have to make ourselves available to it. And, and here, I hope, is, is some good news for somebody. Remember Thomas, the doubter, who wasn't there the first time around? Some of you probably can relate to him. Like, doubt's not an unusual thing at times in the Christian life. So if you go, well, if I'm doubting or if I've ever struggled, does that mean? No, it just means you're human. Notice where Thomas is the next time Jesus shows up. Even though he's had his doubts, even though he's made an outlandish statement that I bet you he wishes he could take back. If like when we get there and we talk to him, he's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that one. (laughs) Notice Jesus doesn't wag a finger at him and go shame on you. He does say stop your doubting and start believing. But catch it. Thomas doesn't stay away from the group. Thomas is right there in their midst again. And, and I want to say something, especially as we're starting to come out of COVID. There are people you know, some who are would be regulars of this church, some are just folks like who are friends, who aren't finding their way back into the worshiping community. And it's important that we reach out to them. They may not be ready yet. That's okay. But they need to know the space is available because it's been a long year of fear and a long year of doubt and a long year of political tension and turmoil and distress. And there are some people who are really doubting. Part of that is because they wandered away from the family of God. Let's draw them back in. Let's help them be like Thomas back where they can receive what God is doing. And if you're here, maybe for the first time back, man, it's good you're here. I'm so glad you're with us. Because this is a place where God's power is available, where God's peace can be known, and where God's purpose can be implemented through our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you today that you are not in the grave, but you are alive. And we pray, Lord, that you would come into those places and bring your peace, your forgiveness, your mercy, whether for the first time or for, well, Lord, for many times, the hundredth time. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us purpose, help us to see beyond ourselves, beyond the small stories. And Lord, we pray, let the power of the Holy Spirit be known in our lives, in our midst, in this congregation, in our church, that the world might also come to know the peace of Jesus. Lord, may you be glorified. We pray in your name. Amen.